I'm Tavis Smiley. Delighted to have you hanging out with us today on this King holiday. Dr. King would have been 95 years old today, and we are just grateful for his life and legacy, his work and witness, and uh, especially grateful for you, again, uh, listening to this program today as we celebrate the person I regard as the greatest American this country has ever produced. Uh, two more great hours in front of us. Just had a great hour with Cornell West. What an amazing dialogue with him. In our third hour, we'll be talking to USC professor Hajar Yazdia about how the right wing has manipulated the legacy of Dr. King. Her book is called The Struggle for the People's King. We'll talk about that in hour three in this hour. In a moment, we'll commence a dialogue with American historian and Guggenheim fellow uh, Michael Honey, Professor Michael Honey, and our friend Bill Fletcher Jr., author, longtime trade unionist and former head of Trans-Africa Forum. They take us on a deep dive into the lesser-known chapter of Dr. King's legacy, the champion, uh, his championing, I should say, of workers' rights. After we do this, these are the words of Cornell West uh, at a major rally in Washington, D.C. this weekend where Dr. West did, as only he can, linking King and Palestine. Take a listen. Yes, it's indeed true that Brother Martin Luther King Jr. would have been 95 years old on Monday. And he, like myself, comes from a tradition of a great black people who have been hated and terrorized and traumatized for 400 years, but we still here fighting, we still here swinging. So I'm here to let my precious Palestinian brothers and sisters and siblings know that when I think of where I come from, for every generation we have love warriors who are willing to live and who are willing to die. Martin Luther King Jr. said I'd rather be dead and afraid. I'd rather be a corpse than a coward. We need courage. We need love and freedom and freedom in love. Don't let anybody lie on you and say that we here in the name of hatred. We don't hate anybody. We love Palestinians. We love oppressed people no matter where they are, any corner of the globe. They could be on the chocolate side of Washington, D.C. They could be Dalits in India. They could be landless peasants in Brazil. They could be indigenous peoples. They can be Iranians. They can be Iraqis. Anybody. This is a human thing we're here for. So when you hear all the lies that hide and conceal the crimes, remember what Brother Martin used to say. No lie can live forever. Truth crush the earth shall rise again. I see it in your faces. I see it in your eyes. I see it in your hearts. I see it in your bodies. And oh, I wish you can see how beautiful you look. Isn't that the truth, my brother? Oh, yes. Beautiful you look. All the different colors and genders and cultures and sexual orientation, the national identities. Why? Because you hear the name of truth and justice and we are going to raise our voices, put our bodies on the line and yes, even go to jail and even die. We trying to have some 
face of morality and spirituality in a moment of overwhelming barbarity. And I can hear the voices of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. I can hear the voices of Claudia Jones. I can hear the voices of W.B. Du Bois. I can hear the voices of John Coltrane's Love Supreme. I can hear the voices of Curtis Mayfield. I can hear the voices of Gil Scott Heron. They're not just isolated names. They are forces in history that constitute our souls so that we can straighten our backs up. And Brother Martin used to say, anytime, everyday people straighten their backs up, they're going somewhere because folk can't ride your back unless it's bent. Our backs are straight. Our backs are ready. We are fortified. We ready to fight. We ready to resist. And that's why we call it for more than a ceasefire. We want an end to the siege. We want an end to the occupation. We want Palestinians to live a life of dignity. Am I I going on too long? (laughs) One last point. One last point. Because we're getting ready to march. Oh, yeah. But when I talk about free Palestine, and one of these days is going to happen, I may not live to see it for myself, but I know I would have done all that I could to bear witness with every bone in my body. But I want that free Palestine to be a place where we're able to bring together human beings in such a way that, yes, we would be concerned about Jewish safety and security. Nobody's calling for the annihilation of Jewish brothers and sisters, but you'll never have Jewish security. You'll never have Jewish safety if you don't have Palestinian security, if you don't have Palestinian safety. That's what we're talking about. We want equality. We want equality. We want equality. Nobody like him. Independent candidate for president, Dr. Cornell West, our guest on this program at our first hour. and wanted to bring you uh, some of uh, uh, the audio of his uh, speech at a uh, sizable rally uh, this past weekend in the nation's capital. When we come forward uh, and continue our salute to Dr. King, we'll be joined by Professor Michael Honey and uh, our friend Bill Fletcher Jr. for a conversation about King and his work to always champion the rights of workers. You are listening, and I'm glad about it, to Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. No street cure or prevent. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. In this hour, we continue our tribute to uh, the greatest American this country's ever produced, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I am delighted to be joined by uh, two great Americans. Uh, one is an American historian and Guggenheim fellow. His name is Michael Honey, and I'm honored to have him back on this program. Professor Honey, how are you today, sir? 
I'm good. Very nice to talk to you, Tavis, hey. and I look forward to hearing Bill Fletcher, too. It's good to hear your voice again. I look forward to hearing Bill's voice as well. Speaking of Bill Fletcher, Jr., he's an author, longtime trade unionist, and former head of Trans-Africa Forum. Uh, delighted to have Bill on as well to take us into a deep dive into the lesser-known chapter of Dr. King's legacy, his championing of workers' rights, and his vision for economic justice alongside racial equality. Bill Fletcher, Happy New Year. Good to hear your voice again as well. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, and thanks uh, for having me on, and, and I'm great, great to be sharing time with uh, Michael Honey. Well, we're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mutual admiration society. We all uh, love and respect each other. <laughs> I look forward to, uh, right. to, a, to a great dialogue in this hour. Michael, let me, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Michael, let me start with you. Um, your thoughts. I said, in, I, said, I said last hour, and I said before on this program, that to my mind, with all due respect to Taylor Swift, um, the, the person of the year that should have made the curve of time at the end of 2023 was not Taylor Swift, but Labor. Labor had a heck of a year. Um, I, I, it's been a long time uh, uh, that I can recall that Labor had uh, quite the year that they had last year. Um, before I jump in, uh, in this conversation about Dr. King and Labor, your thoughts on the year that was for the Labor movement and what it means. Uh, I'd be especially interested to hear what, what Bill Fletcher says about this, but I'm from Michigan originally and grew up, my parents are from Detroit, so the United Auto Workers is a big thing in our history. And we went through a period in Michigan of losing a lot of those jobs, and Michigan even passed a right-to-work law, which means basically it, it's undercutting unions uh, completely. So things look really dismal, and then up up comes this uh, change, and it was done through partly people at Labor Notes and other you know sort of left people who were uh, analyzing the situation over many years about the give back uh, bargaining was killing the union, and people were alienated, and they went through a, a big election process, and out of that came Sean Fain somebody that I knew nothing about from Kokomo, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And here he comes up with this brilliant strategy of uh, striking the profit centers uh, and all three big industries, but with, uh, without letting them know what's going to happen exactly. It was a brilliant strategy, and now he's talking about trying to get unions to all bargain their contracts at the same time, as many as possible. So suddenly there's a surge of great hope in organizing. Uh, and I know in Tennessee, I, most of my research is on uh, King and the Southern Movement, and mm -hmm. I lived in Tennessee for, for six years. There's a plant that's going to be built in the Memphis area, a Ford plant. In 1937, the Ford plant was beating up the organizers in Memphis, and coming up now... I'm optimistic that this thing will get unionized despite right to work in Tennessee. Mm. So I'm look I'm looking at a good picture, I yeah. think, for yeah. for unions. You mentioned Sean Fain. Um I, I am from Kokomo, Indiana. I I grew up I grew up there. Uh, and I never heard of Sean Fain. <laughs> and when I started uh, reading these stories like you, this guy's from Kokomo, Indiana. I said, what? Another guy from Kokomo? Uh, so at least there, uh -huh. there, there are two folk you now know, Michael Honey, from Kokomo, Indiana. One is Tab Smiley and one is, uh, one is Sean Fain. Uh, that said, Bill Fletcher, what, uh, Bill Fletcher Jr., to be exact, what do you make of the year that labor had, and what do you think that year means going forward, if anything? Well, I think it's been great. And I think that it's been, uh, it's been building since 2011. And, and when, you when you look at 2011 
and you look at the uh, Occupy movement, when you look at the what's called the Madison Uprising mm-hmm. uh, that took place, from that point on, you're starting to see something moving, this motion uh, that, that becomes very important. You, you, you uh, have the reform movement in the uh, UAW. You have the change in the leadership in the Teamsters. So, uh, and you also have a lot of grassroots organizing, some of which was very much affected by the pandemic. Uh, the, the Starbucks organizing, uh, the Walmart organizing, the Amazon organizing. So a lot of things have been in motion and have crested in, in, a, in a way where there is amazing public support for unions, an unprecedented, almost an unprecedented level of, of uh, public support. Now, having said that, Tavis, it's really important for people to appreciate that we can't stop here and that, that there need to be broader strategies and demands. And there's some areas of concern. When, for example, you have the president of the Teamsters Union sitting down with Donald Trump, this is not a good sign. Sean Fain uh, from the UAW said that he had nothing to say to Trump, right? And, and uh, O'Brien from the Teamsters should have said the same thing. And, and what it's starting to feel like is that O'Brien is, wants to act like the um, Jimmy Hoffa of trying to cut deals with Nixon. Um, and this is very dangerous, particularly given what Donald Trump represents and what the Republican Party represents today. Um, why do you think then that the head of the Teamsters did, in fact, um, head to a meeting with Donald Trump? Like, what would you say? If you're, of, if, you, if you're the head of the Teamsters, what would you say to Donald Trump in a meeting? Like, why take the meeting? I wouldn't. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't meet with him. But why he did it, I suspect that what's going on is that he does not, think the danger of Trump is as serious as many of the rest of us do, and that he believes that he can cut a deal with Trump to preserve the Teamsters, despite all indications and evidence of, of, of Donald Trump's uh, practice that this is not someone who is pro-union in the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's, I hate to say it, but I think it's a form of opportunism. Mm. Um, you have any thoughts on that, uh, Michael, before I move forward on, on why the Teamster Sean Fain at UAW would not meet with Donald Trump? Um, you have any, 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 any insight or any thoughts, at least, on why the Teamsters would meet with Donald Trump? Well, I think what, what Bill said is absolutely right. He thinks he can cut some kind of deal. And we've seen... You know, the the full politics of Trumpism are completely anti-union, and the Republican Party completely anti-union. And we know all of that. And uh, Trump's response to the Biden going on the picket line was to go to a non-union plant or an anti-union plant and tell the workers they should uh, put pressure on China, not on the auto companies in the United States. I mean, he, he bankrupted himself right in front of our eyes as far as unions are concerned. 
Mm-hmm. Um, let me um, let me let me go straight away now into I want to just start this conversation uh, just talking about labor writ large in this country and where we think labor is uh, at this moment in 2024. Again, quite the year in 2023. We shall see whether or not that is sustainable and whether or not that continues to grow and to expand in this year and the years to come. I pray so. That said, let me now look back as we celebrate the legacy of Dr. King today. Um, uh, Michael, honey, I'll let you get this part of the conversation started. Uh, and I don't want to ask a question too specific, so I'll give you a broad palette to paint on here. Talk to me about King and his um, his work to champion the rights of workers. Um, let me just before you say that, let me just say that you'll appreciate hearing this story, Michael, honey. I, I know Bill will as well. Um, last night here in Los Angeles, I was with our mutual friend Reverend James Lawson. Uh, Reverend Lawson uh, last night was um, uh, presented last night at the annual King dinner that we have here in Los Angeles. This program is heard across the country in syndication, but I'm based in L.A., as you know. And last night in L.A., we had our annual King dinner. I was with Reverend Lawson just last night. He and I spent some good time at our table talking over dinner last night, but it was just great to see him now 95 uh, years old. Uh, Dr. King, in fact, would be 95 today on his birthday where he's still living. But I was with Reverend Lawson last night. For those who don't know the name, James Lawson. Reverend Lawson was in Memphis at the time pastoring a church. And he is the one who invited Dr. King to Memphis to march with the sanitation workers. Uh, and um, he and Dr. King were dear friends. And at his invitation, uh, Dr. King came to Memphis to march with the sanitation workers wearing those signs around their necks. I am a man. I am a man. Reverend Lawson was the one who made the entreaty to Dr. King to come to Memphis. And I know for years, uh, based on our conversations, had a hard time processing what it meant that he was the one that invited Martin to Memphis, where, of course, he was assassinated. Uh, he said to me many times, Martin wanted to be there. He wanted to come. But he had a hard time sort of processing psychologically that he was the one that invited King to Memphis. That said, Michael Honey, talk to me about King and his effort uh, to always advance the rights of workers. Well, I think I'd like to pick up two strands of this. One is James Lawson. Uh, I've worked with him quite a lot on different projects. Uh, made a film with him mm-hmm. called Love and Solidarity. And we have a new book uh, that is James Lawson's lectures on uh, revolutionary nonviolence organizing for freedom. That's mm-hmm. at University of California Press. And in there, he tells you the steps of nonviolence organizing. And what he contends is that nonviolence organizing is far more effective than any kind of armed action that anybody could take, uh, short of maybe individual self-defense when somebody's attacking you. But in mass movements, uh, nonviolence has a both a, a philosophy that brings people together and a method. And, of course, that's what Dr. King was all about also. So it's it's both the analysis and the method. And people need to pick up on this and learn it. Uh, and in California, they're now setting up uh, teaching for next year, K through 12, uh, on the so- history of the civil rights movement and what uh, John Lewis called the nonviolence movement. And it's very much tied to labor in the later stages uh, from Memphis in 68 onward. But second point is that Dr. King was tied in with unions all along, right from the Montgomery bus boycott onward. Uh, he had support from unions, particularly the unions, and Bill <laughs> would know these ones, that had been in the CIO and had uh, left-wing civil rights conscious leadership. And those unions came to his support right away, and not just to him, but to the movement. 
in Montgomery. And they continued to support King all along. And so I think when King came to Memphis and made that amazing March 18 speech where he called for a general strike, mm-hmm. only only somebody with that, both his uh, spiritual framework and his experience in knowing and working with labor people, mm-hmm. only that would allow somebody to make such a bold demand. Uh, and so I've written a lot about yeah. King and labor, but it, it's important for people to realize that this is all part of the civil rights and freedom movement. Yeah. I've got two minutes here uh, before we come forward. Uh, uh, Bill Fletcher, Jr., we can continue, but let me just get you started on this, and again, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on it in a moment. Um, what, what was it about King's message that you think, uh, 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 Bill Fletcher, that, that resonated with labor? Not everybody was down with Martin, as we know. Why was labor um, in his camp? Because um, Because... Dr. King recognized race and class, mm-hmm. uh, and and this is one of the things, Tavis, that has happened. The way that um, history and uh, King, in specific, has been whited out. That that King's linking of race and class, the struggle for economic justice, uh, being central. His um, uh, post nineteen sixty six sort of refocusing his efforts on uh, economic and global injustice. These are things that have been blocked out. So many people only think of King as a race man, as a civil rights person, and don't see that, as Michael was saying, from the, from the giddy-up, Dr. King was pro-labor and, and would give speeches regularly to unions and union uh, conventions essentially emphasizing the need for unions to unite with the black freedom movement. Mm. When we come forward, uh, something occurs to me now, uh, Bill Fletcher, that I've never asked, and I want to ask it of you um, when we come forward and get Michael's take on as well, Michael Honey's take. And that is that uh, Dr. King, from the very beginning, as Michael Honey established and you echoed, uh, was always in support of labor. He was always down with labor uh, and always uh, used his bully pulpit, his platform, uh, to champion uh, workers' rights. And yet, if you know King's backstory, as some of us do, he was a middle-class Negro. I mean, King grew up very upper-middle-class uh, in Atlanta. Uh, and it, 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 it's not always easy for people who grow up with, uh, you know, with a silver spoon in their mouth. And King, King was by no means wealthy. His family was not wealthy. But he was an upper-middle-class, uh, part of an upper-middle-class Negro family. And for somebody in that moment, growing up the way he grew up, in the neighborhood he grew up in, in Atlanta, to to be immediately down with everyday people, down with workers, down with laborers, is something I've never really explored before. We're going to explore it when we come forward with Bill Fletcher Jr. and Michael Honey, who you're listening to right now as we celebrate King on this holiday on Tavis Smiley.